This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Today we have a crazy story of revenge against a terrible wife. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, library cloakroom manager messes with me, so I steal a priceless purse under his watch. From the dawn of time. Okay, no, not the dawn of time, because technically I wasn't here when time dawned. Or maybe I should rephrase. From the dawn of my time. That simply means since the time I was born. I've always been looked down on. This happened in middle school, high school, and college. And it'll probably happen out of college and at my workplace. It wasn't because I was weird in some type of way, or maybe that's exactly what it is. I'm really small. Not just short, although I'm also short. I'm a full-grown man, and I'm only 5 feet 5. As if that wasn't enough, I was also thin. I wasn't muscular like the rest of the guys in my high school. It was as though when the angel of puberty came, it had a beef with me, and to enact his revenge, he skipped me. I didn't experience that growth spurt thingy that everyone else did, or if I did, it sure wasn't noticeable. I was way behind in everything, and people like to make fun of me because of it. At one point, I preferred to be the fat kid in school instead of thin. My situation almost led me into depression because at first, I thought it was a food thing. I wasn't eating enough. If I did, I would add some weight. During that time, I ate so much that every day, till it became physically impossible to eat anymore. Sometimes I found it difficult to function after eating. But after putting myself through all that, did it work? Heck no. I was still as thin as I was when I started the whole exercise. Maybe I even lost some weight. I got my mom to take me to the doctors, but they said I was as healthy as everyone else and I just had weird genes. I gave up trying after that and just accepted that I was going to grow old in a tiny body. I tried to love myself all through high school, even through the bullying. I did well in high school, even though I didn't have many friends or a girlfriend. I got to college, and there, I thought I wouldn't have this problem ever again. Because, sure, people in college are supposed to have outgrown their childish traits, but that's where I was wrong. I was bullied in college, but not by the students or the lecturers but by the most unlikely person, the library cloakroom manager. It sounds stupid, I know, but it happened. Let me tell you how. It all started with a mishandled cigarette. In my second year of college, I didn't have many friends. Part of that was because of my self-esteem issues, and the other part was because I was an introvert. I never really cared about making friends. Not that I didn't care, let's just say I didn't care enough to try. The only friends I had at that time were my roommate and his friend Jensen. My roommate Billy and I had been friends slash roommates since freshman year. We never had any problems. Well, I should say we rarely have any problems. You see, while I prefer a nice and quiet apartment so I can meditate and study or listen to soft classical music while I cook, Billy liked to play loud rock and heavy metal music while he does 
pretty much anything. Till today, I don't know how he studies while listening to heavy metal music, but however he does it, it yields results because he's one of the smartest guys I know. The problem is the main cause of our disagreement sometimes. The other one is the fact that he liked to smoke inside the house. I never smoked. I hate the smell of weed. It makes me nauseous sometimes, so I try to stay the heck away from it. I try to get Billy to stop smoking inside the apartment, but for some reason, that's his best spot to take a smoke. He said he was going to have to stop, but I still caught him a few times with a stick in the living room. The particular day where it all began, I came back from my after-school job, and I tried to open the door to the apartment, but it was locked. That meant that Billy was in. I knocked, and after a minute, he opened the door. I could tell from his sheepish smile that something was wrong. When I asked him, he said nothing was up, but the redness of his eyes and Jensen's incessant coughing, I could tell that they'd been smoking. Through the thick smell of the perfume in the living room, I could still smell the traces of weed in the living room. I didn't ask any questions, though. At least they made an effort to hide it. That was what was important. I went straight to my room to get a power nap before I started to study. I underestimated how tired I was that day because I didn't wake up when my alarm sounded. Instead, it was Billy who woke me up, saying that there was a fire in the living room. We had forgotten to put new batteries into the smoke detector so it didn't sound when the fire started. I grabbed some stuff and hurried out through the back door. The firemen did their job and they successfully killed the fire. It burnt the living room and a part of the kitchen. We couldn't stay there until it was fixed. The fire person said the point of origin was something behind the couch. I had initially thought it was an electrical issue, but as soon as he said that, I knew exactly what it was. I went to meet Billy and he finally confessed. He and Jensen were taking a smoke, and as soon as they heard my knock, they panicked and threw the smoke behind the chair. They took out the stick when I went to my room and flushed it down the drain, but a burning part of the stick must have dropped and burnt the carpet, then the couch, and eventually the living room. They both apologized profusely for the mistake and even decided that they were going to fix the living room and kitchen. All I had to do was get a place to stay in the meantime. I couldn't afford to stay at the hotel during this time, so I decided to crash with a course mate. He was kind of a friend, but we rarely talked about anything else apart from anime. Anyway, his place was not very conducive for me because he has a lot of roommates, and they were even worse than Jensen and Billy combined. But at that point, I had no choice. I had nowhere else to stay. Billy was crashing with Jensen in an apartment he already shared with his older brother and his course mate, and because I wasn't friends with a lot of people, I didn't have many options. I tried studying in the apartment, but I soon found out that it was impossible. The only time the music or movie stops playing is late at night. This didn't help much because I wasn't a fan of studying at midnight. I could never do it. I usually sleep off less than 10 minutes since I start studying. I decided that I needed to find an alternative solution. The alternative solution I managed to find was the library. I know people would be like, um, duh, that's obvious, but the thing is that I don't like going to the library for so many reasons. One is that I like to be alone while reading. The other reason is that I like to eat snacks to keep other parts of my body busy while studying. If I study without it, I might fall asleep, but as we all know, the no snacks rule in the library is pretty strict. I would have preferred anywhere else, but since there was nowhere else, I had to use the library. The first day I was there after my morning classes. We weren't allowed to take our bags to the library, so I had to drop it off at the cloakroom. The first time I went there, a nice lady attended to me. She was very warm and welcoming, and we even had a short discussion about anime. 
I saw her Demon Slayer phone pouch, and I asked her if she was an anime fan. That was how the discussion started. After my study session in the library and I was about to leave, we continued our discussion. Something about Attack on Titans anime came up, and I told her I had the paperback manga. Manga means comic book, and I could lend her it the next day. She mentioned that she wasn't going to be around the next day. She was a substitute for the actual cloak manager, and he was going to be back the next day. I said okay, and we said our goodbyes. The next day after my classes, I decided to pop in for a few hours of studying before I had to go back to the apartment I was staying at. I had even forgotten that the lady I met yesterday wasn't going to be around. As soon as I got there, I noticed the change. A man, probably in his late 50s and reeking of alcohol, barking at people to arrange their bags in an orderly fashion. As soon as I got there, he turned around and looked at me from head to toe. He didn't say anything at first, but I could tell that I was surely going to have a problem with him. I walked over to an empty space to tuck in my bag, and he immediately asked why I was in the library. I didn't understand his question, so I stayed silent, hoping he'll rephrase, but he didn't. He asked if I had gone deaf. I was taken aback by his hostility, but I didn't flinch. I told him I was a student and I wanted to study. Then he asked why I didn't submit my things for a check. I didn't know I was supposed to do that, because the lady that was there the day before didn't tell me to do that. Apparently, he checks and registers everything in a person's bag before they drop it in the cloakroom, and he checks again when they're leaving. This is to ensure that nothing is missing from the bags, and nothing was stolen from the library. I told him I had been in the library only once, and I didn't know about the rule. He started to mutter something about me not being serious with my studies. I guess he's of the ideology that any student that doesn't study in the library isn't studying, and they're just making a mess of their lives. Anyway, he checked my bag and all it contained, and added them into his register. Next, he gave me a tag which had the number of the locker where my bag was, and I went off to the library. After my study session, I went back to get my stuff. The cloakroom manager asked me if I was through with fooling myself. What the heck? At first, I didn't understand what he was talking about till I thought about it. He was still maintaining the fact that I wasn't a serious student and that I shouldn't even be in the library. I was so pissed off at this, and even though I wasn't a confrontational person by nature, I had to stand up for myself. I told him to mind his business and to be respectful while he was talking to me. His job was to manage student bags and stuff, and he has no right to call me unserious. He didn't say anything after that exchange, and for a moment I thought I'd won. I couldn't be further from the truth. The next day, I didn't have any classes to attend, so I just decided to go to the library at once. I got there around 11am-ish, and to my surprise, there was a line at the cloakroom. This meant that the room was full, and you could only drop your stuff off when people in the library come out to pick up theirs. The line was moving fairly fast, and when it got to my turn, I laid out my stuff for the manager to register. The sour look he gave me as soon as I stepped forward was evidence that he still held grudges about the previous day. It wasn't like I wasn't well within my rights to stop telling him to mind his business. I dropped my bag in one of the lockers and started to head towards the library. Halfway there, I realized that I'd forgotten my ID card. The security guard at the library entrance was going to ask for it, and I couldn't go into the library without it. I went back to the cloakroom to get it, and as soon as the manager saw me, he accused me of coming back to steal something from one of the students' bags. I explained to him that I forgot my ID card and I needed it to enter the library. 
He didn't even want to listen to my explanations. He just decided that I was lying. He handed me my bag and made me leave the cloakroom. I felt so humiliated because other people thought I genuinely came back to steal something. But I knew it was just a form of revenge for standing up to him the day before. I left the cloakroom and went back to my course mate's apartment. The first person I called was Billy. I was almost in tears when I told him what happened. He was also mad and he told us to meet up that night. I went to Jensen's later that day and we talked for a while. Jensen decided that we had to get back at him for bullying and humiliating me. Together, we came up with a plan, and by the time the plan was complete, I was only excited to see how it was going to play out. The next week, everything was ready. Billy's girlfriend Ashley was important to the plan. She went to the library early in the morning when it was just opening. The only person in the cloakroom was the manager. She registered her stuff, which included a hand purse, which was valued at $5,000. Then she kept it in a locker and went to the library. Next, we had to distract the manager. That was Billy's job. He tripped car alarms in the library parking space. We couldn't know which belonged to the manager, so he tripped as much as he could before he was caught. Next, I snuck into the manager's office and spiked his alcohol flask with some heavy sedatives. I made sure to leave before he came back. Next, Billy pretended to want to register his belongings in the cloakroom. He checked the cloakroom an hour after I spiked the drink, and according to plan, the manager was asleep. He took Ashley's purse and left the cloakroom. Another hour later, Ashley left the library and went to get her stuff from the cloakroom. She couldn't find her purse, and she accused the manager of stealing it. She caused a big scene and the library management had to step in. The manager confessed that he fell asleep and someone must have stolen the purse during that time. He Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. was required to pay the $5,000 and was also suspended from work. A fitting punishment for a bully. So although it definitely happened supposedly under their watch, even though they don't know that they were on some substances... Is it legal for anyone anywhere to say you have to pay that 5000 purse back to this person? I don't think there's any institution or company that can just be like, okay, due to your negligence, pay up $5,000, let's go. You could fire him. Ashley could sue him for the damages. I guess it comes down to whether or not they personally want to repay it so they can keep their job, I don't know. That said, our next story is leaving my abusive wife. Seeing stories of toxic relationships always takes me back to a few years back when I was wrapped up in a very toxic situation and didn't think it was possible to get out. 
It's a deeply personal story of survival, resilience, and the power of friendship, like many other life stories. It's a tale that begins with a marriage that turned toxic, as I found myself trapped in an abusive relationship with my wife. But with the help of an old friend who believed in me, I was able to gather the strength to escape the torment and fight for a better future. I officially met my wife at the end of college. We weren't friends and we had no idea about each other. She worked at a diner and I was studying to be an engineer while working a job as a mechanic. She was blonde and pretty and I was skinny and scruffy. We barely noticed each other and a few years passed with us just passing by each other. On the day of my graduation, I walked into the diner to get food as a celebration with my friends and our eyes met. She was still the same pretty blonde girl but I'd grown out of my scrawny self and into a more muscular person. Being a mechanic would do that to you. My party was the last that she served before she had to get off her shift, and we asked her to join us. It took some coaxing, but she finally joined us. After that, my friends took off to another party, but she agreed to join me to go to my workshop and see the cars I was working on. We saw the cars, smoked a couple of cigarettes, and talked under the moonlight until sunrise. After that, I decided that I really liked her. A few months later, I asked her to be my girlfriend, and we got married a year after that. Our relationship was good great even for the first 10 years. It was just us. I worked as a mechanical engineer for a company that paid a decent amount, enough to get a home, two cars, and a yearly vacation, while my wife did most of the housework and became a seamstress. We wanted children, but it was more of a if-it-happened-it-happened type of situation, which was why nothing bothered us 10 years into marriage with no kids. After all, we got married at 19 and 22. We were still pretty young in our own eyes. Things changed with my wife Edna's first pregnancy. She was irritated for the entire nine months of her pregnancy and when she finally had our firstborn, she was more than happy to get rid of him. Even more, she disliked him, calling him names and saying that he'd ruined her body while bawling, still on the hospital bed. The doctor said that she had really bad postnatal depression and suggested ways to help. I tried, I really did, but she was a shell of the woman I knew for two years. Immediately she got better, she was asking for another kid. I was hesitant, but I decided to go ahead after a visit to the doctor, and he said he would keep a close eye on Edna. The second pregnancy was worse. She was pregnant with twins, and she became much more aggressive and abusive. First, towards our son. I protected him a lot of the time, and so she directed it at me, angry about anything and everything. I understood that pregnancy wasn't easy and did my best to understand what she was going through, but honestly it was hard. She would throw things at me, pour ice cold water on me if I dared sleep in during the weekends, and many times she soaked my work clothes in bleach or water so that I wouldn't go to work, or just so I would have a bad day. I took many leaves of absence, so much so that I was almost fired from my job. After Edna gave birth, she had to be admitted to the mental facility because the complications following were so many and so bad. She was there for three months, only getting supervised visits to see the newborn twins and our older son. I took care of everything happily because I wanted the best for my Edna. When she got back home, she seemed like a much worse version of herself. She had cut her hair and used words I'd never heard her use before. Harsh, nasty words about me and the kids. The doctor advised me that it was normal and that she would change after a few weeks at home, but a whole year passed and she seemed to only get worse. 
I finally had enough and decided to speak to my wife. It ended badly. She cut me on my face with a knife and hit me with a pan on my head. I had to get stitches and checked for a concussion. After that, I decided to stay and protect my kids because they didn't have too much of an idea who their mother had become. And she had the law on her side because after hurting me, she would also hurt herself to make sure I wasn't able to report to anyone. My parents, her parents, the doctors, or the police. For years, I endured the emotional and physical abuse inflicted on me by my Edna. The pain was unbearable and very emasculating, but the thought of losing my children was even worse. She didn't even seem to care about them, just about what she could get from using them as a bargaining tool with me. It was daily torment with her, and on top of that, I had to do everything in the house while still taking care of the children. That I didn't mind. They were easy children and seemed to understand that things weren't stable between their mother and me, no matter how much I tried to hide it. Still, they loved her and treated her as normally as they possibly could. I was proud of them for that. In addition to everything she was doing, Edna also attempted to drain my bank account, leaving me with little means to protect myself and my children. One of her conditions for not going to the police was to give her whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted, which was nearly all of what I made. I continued to hang on until I was laid off from my job in 2018. My oldest was 10 and the twins were 7. It wasn't a reasonable time to be in that kind of a situation. Edna's demands lessened and she was home much less. Finding a new job seemed impossible and after almost running out of my savings, I reached out to a few people. In what seemed like my darkest hour, I reconnected with an old friend, Alex. Alex and I were best friends through college and only parted ways because he went to further his studies abroad and I stayed back to work and get married. Over the years we had lost connection, but our bonds still seemed to remain the same. We met for coffee and after the initial catching up, we went straight for the things that had been happening to us. I was hesitant to talk about myself, listening as he told me about his wife and small daughter. It took a lot of coaxing from him to get me to speak, but when I did, I poured my heart out, sharing the harrowing details of what I was going through. I hadn't cried since high school, but I sobbed in front of my friend that day, not caring who saw. Alex believed me, understood what I was going through, and offered his unwavering support. He became my ally, determined to help me break free from the cycle of abuse. First, he got me a job, as a virtual assistant for a friend of his. It was a remote job, so I didn't have to go anywhere, and Edna never guessed. She just saw me in front of a laptop all day and probably assumed I was watching movies or something. I also had to create a separate account, as the one I had was joined with Edna and she took over it completely. As I worked, I managed to save a bit and pay the bills that my wife didn't even care for. As I started working, things calmed down and she was even nicer to the kids. I was okay with continuing to live that way, but Alex was not having it. He asked me that if she were to start questioning where I got money to pay the bills for the house and the kids, wouldn't things get bad again? And I would be stuck in the cycle again. He made sense, but I wanted the kids to have a complete childhood. To test out his theory, I told Edna that I'd gotten a job. She seemed happy for me and things were good for another week before she started getting grumpy again. I spoke to Alex and he devised a game plan to gather concrete evidence of the abuse inflicted on me and the kids by my wife. I didn't understand why I hadn't thought about it before, but the answer was hidden cameras, audio recordings, and meticulous documentation. 
I placed them all over the house, in areas that wouldn't cause anybody to be inappropriately exposed, but would still catch a lot of audio and video footage. Alex helped me with it. As predicted, Edna was her manipulative self again, demanding a weekly allowance of what wasn't her entire supposed salary. I lied about how much I made. When I tried to argue and bring up the kids, but she was upset and threw an entire chair at me. As the days went on, she would threaten to go to court for the kids and tear her own skin before me. And one time our oldest saw it. I was so angry at that. I was ready to go to the police immediately. But Alex asked me to be patient so that we could capture more moments of her aggression and manipulation. It was a painstaking process, but with each piece of evidence we collected, our case against her grew stronger. Armed with glaring proof, we presented our case to the authorities. The police, after reviewing the evidence, took swift action to protect me and my children. They recognized the urgency of the situation and ensured the safety of my family. Finally, justice was within reach, and the weight of the abuse began to lift from my shoulders. It was hard, but I had to realize that this Edna was not the woman I married and it was okay to let go. She was a different woman that cared more about drugs than her children, and I tried my best to keep the family together. The divorce was long and messy because Edna's family was determined to prove that it was all my fault that Edna had turned out the way she did. In 2020, just before the pandemic, the divorce was successful and she was admitted to inpatient in the psychiatric center. The kids and I moved houses and for the first time in a long time, I experienced true peace. I was filled with gratitude for the support and friendship of Alex. His belief in me, combined with our relentless pursuit of justice, helped me reclaim my life and protect my children from further harm. My story serves as a reminder that no one deserves to endure abuse and there is always hope for a better future. To anyone out there facing a similar situation, please know that you are not alone. Reach out to trusted friends, family, or organizations that can provide the support you need. Abuse is a real thing that affects everyone, regardless of age and gender, and no one deserves it. Obviously, OP highlighted it here, but Alex is the real MVP of this story. They identified that their friend was going through some stuff and they were relentless in making sure that they didn't give up, they didn't settle, and they got things where they needed them to be. I love the fact that Alex was in OP's corner and every time OP got knocked down to the mat and they seemed to say, you know, it's okay enough down here, Alex seemed to be in that corner, not just telling them to get up but lifting them physically up themselves. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 